Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, Podcast World, welcome to this week's special edition of FNO InsureTech. I am Rob Beller, who I've pretty much always been. Yeah. And uh, he's he's Lee Boyd, and he's pretty much always been that too. (laughs) Aren't you? That is correct, Rob. That is Uh, correct. Although, when we record this, I have Lee on video, and he's sitting in front of a different background today. It's very disruptive. You have been to me. so bothered by my blue background. I, it's bothering the heck It's out a of blue me. wall. I don't understand why that's so bad. Where do you have a blue? Where is a blue wall? In our in, in our game world? room where I'm working on a TV tray because I'm trying to find a good place to work. And I'm in my game room with a dog on the couch, but the walls are blue. Okay, so I'm going to ask our audience something. How many of you have a game room? That's a very kind of 1980s phrase. We have a, a we have a game room, but I don't have a designated office. So who who okay. runs this house? Me or my children? <laughs> no, who runs your life? Exactly. You or your children? Exactly. So yeah, but no, no, we're we're in a blue room. It, it used to be painted. There was a mural all around painting. It was mural. a full uh, kitty room, and the kids have gotten older and they got real mad and said i can't invite friends over because there's a cartoon duck on the wall and so we had to paint it this playstation blue color speaking of children Mm -hmm. you know you know my son i do i have two sons i do you've met them on many occasions many occasions and my sons live in new york city new york city i got one in brooklyn and one in the city yeah and like millions of other people they rent where they live. Did you know that? I did. I knew that they did, and I knew that the millions of others did. I knew that renting was a pretty popular thing. Very big. And my kids pay unbelievable sums of money in rent. This is their father speaking. Right. Of course. Of course. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, you know, because I'm like, you should own a home. (laughs) So I think if you pay $10 a month in rent, you're paying too much. Right. But they're paying a lot more than that. I would think so. But anyways, the it's uh, the whole rental thing, getting a rental, having a rental, the whole thing is very complicated. It is. It is. You have to pay big deposits whenever you rent a home that you might or might not get back, depending or a uh, you know, whenever you rent an apartment or whatever, that you might or might not get back whenever it's over. So this all gives me a great idea. What's that idea, Rob? The idea is how about if we start a company mm-hmm. where we provide support to renters and to landlords in this whole financial process. I think that's fantastic. We could we could change the way that that deposits are done and maybe add a little mm-hmm. bit of an insurance element to it. Except for one problem. What's that, Rob? It, it's already been oh, done. Oh, man. I had no idea. And it's, and it's been done in a really remarkable and complete way. It has. It has. And we have with us today one of the great innovators in this space, Ben Lantos, co-founder and CEO of Rhino. Yeah. Ben's going to be able to come on today, tell us all about Rhino, 
what they do and how they're changing the way that um, their property management companies take take uh, deposits. Uh, they're going to talk about how it affects renters, customer service. It's it's going to be a great conversation. Yeah, and I couldn't help but listening to it and thinking. I mean, the the number of questions and ideas and topics that they involve themselves in this what what on the one on the surface seems like a very simple little process that they're involved in is actually not that at all. It's it's quite complicated. Yeah, and, but. But remarkably beneficial. Very important. I mean, you can see why property management companies all over the country would be um, interested and involved in this product. Yeah, I think they're all over it. They're all over it. So without further ado, without having to listen to either of us any longer, here's our episode with Ben Lantos, CEO and co-founder of Rhino. Hey, everybody. We're here with a special guest coming with us today from... Rhino. Where where in the country? Oh, Los Angeles. Los Angeles, Los Angeles, California. California. Beautiful Los Angeles. And we have with us today the co-founder and CEO of Rhino, Ben Lantos. Uh, Where in L.A.? Uh, on the west side of LA, uh, a little bit north of the airport, which uh, hope anyone who's been to LA is familiar with, hopefully. Yeah. Is that Venice? Or is, is uh, Venice Santa north? Santa Monica? Yes, yeah, yes. Venice is also north. But north of there is also Santa Monica, which is where I am. Okay. My booby lived in Venice. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You're, you're what now? <laughs> My great grandmother. Oh, that lived makes in Venice sense. when I was a kid. I grew up in Los Angeles, and she lived in Venice. And she lived in this apartment that was about the size of my office here, and forever. I mean, till she was like ninety, and she would walk down the walk street every day to the boardwalk and hang out yeah. on the there's were bus stops with all the other ninety year old boobies, and <laughs> uh, and it was great. I loved it. There. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, Venice is. Uh... Beautiful place, beautiful beaches. Changed a little. It has evolved, yes, okay. uh, <laughs> certainly. Okay. Well, enough of this. Let's let's get into the meat of this matter, and that has to do with Rhino. Let's start by asking you the question: What the heck is Rhino, and 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 what do you do there? So let's level set on that first. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you both for having me. But to go over Rhino. Basically, you know, it's a company we started uh, seven years ago, uh, me and the other co-founders, and our aim was to modernize and simplify the move-in and move-out processes for, for landlords, for property managers, and for renters all alike. And one of the high-value propositions that we saw within the space, uh, which is where we initially focused, was on security deposits. It's little known that there's a, almost $45 billion that's trapped in security deposits across the country. And, wow. you know, when we looked at that number, we said, we said the same thing that you said, Lee. We said, <laughs> wow. And when you think about what does a security deposit really do, it's absolutely risk mitigation uh, for landlords and property managers uh, that renters and consumers have to kind of pony up when they move into an apartment, in addition to all the other upfront costs uh, that you incur when you're moving. And so, you know, we decided to hone in on that and really think critically about how can we modernize that experience for all parties and, you know, landed on the insurance product that we ended up building. So I know you came out of Goldman Sachs, so you had a financial 
background. And did one of you guys have, or one one of the co-founders, did you have the experience of, oh my God, they want $5,000 from me to just hold? It, w- w- was that part of the story or, or how did you get, How did, I'm, I'm interested how you got to, because it's really, on the one hand, it's an incredibly simple idea. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, from the consumer and the renter's perspective, it's, you know, it's what you just mentioned. It's pretty straightforward. You're renting an apartment and just as part of the process, you go find some place you love, you want to move in, you submit an application, you go through an approval process, lease signing, security deposit, first month's rent, keys, move in. You kind of don't think about all the different components of that process and what the friction is and you know what you have to deal with in order to get into your home, which is obviously a very important uh, aspect of life to all of us. And so essentially looking at that and understanding this one particular pain point uh, is something that we kind of honed in on uh, and decided that you know, we can fix the kind of security deposit portion of it by addressing it with this insurance product. And, you know, the insight essentially is from the property management and property owner side, which is kind of less, I think, uh, transparent to most of the kind of general public is what is it doing for the property manager? And it is absolutely, truly risk mitigation against the renter who's going to come and rent in their apartment, whether that person's going to pay all their rent, monthly rents on time or whether that person's going to return the apartment in kind of broom clean or normal wear and tear condition. And so holding cash, it absolutely mitigates against that risk. But, you know, I would argue that it's kind of an archaic form of risk mitigation to hold someone's cash as collateral uh-huh. against any kind of downside risk. And so, I think the true insight is, and you also mentioned that one of the co-founders have experience here, and the answer is absolutely yes. You know, one of my co-founders was a rental operator uh, in the New York City area operating close to 1,000 rental units uh, for many years and understood firsthand what is the burden on the other side of the equation. And frankly, how do you solve it from both sides, because it's not just a renter consumer product. It is also a landlord property management product to accept in lieu of a cash security deposit. Right. Maybe just as importantly, or even maybe more so, is that side of the equation, right? Is is the landlord side? Yeah, I'd argue it's uh, similarly important. The way that we think about our customers is we think about all the stakeholders and the property manager and rental operator is absolutely a critical piece because they need to accept the product that we're offering in lieu of cash, which is something they've been doing for decades, if not longer. And then equally on the renter side, we need to make sure the product we're offering is seamless, it's fast, it's low cost, and actually stacks up well against the cash security deposit. So thinking about those two customers in everything we do is actually critical to... um, to kind of propagating this uh, product into the space. So help me understand exactly how it works. If I'm a if I'm a renter, I'm expected to pay a one thousand dollar deposit with the hopes of maybe getting that back in twelve months. But knowing that there might be a hole in the wall, some bad carpet, something I might not get at all. At, for this, am I still paying an upfront or am I paying a monthly premium? How does that work? 
Yeah, so we actually have a bunch of options uh, that are offered out. And so there's monthly installment options, there's upfront options, but it all, and also we do full deposit uh, kind of management. So we also collect cash security deposits on behalf of our partners as well. It's kind of a full suite that's turnkey for risk mitigation, okay. whichever product the consumer chooses or whichever one is offered or combinations of them. But essentially, the process that a renter will go through is you'll find that apartment you love, you'll submit that application and get approved. And as part of that approval process and the lease signing, you're going to be required to you know, deliver the first month's rent and security deposit. And we are enabled within kind of the processes or technology of our landlord partners, where you, know, you as the prospective renter who's approved is going to be invited to sign up through our digitally native workflow answer a few questions. We you know, also get some information from the property management software systems. And with that, we deliver you a quote and you can bind online. And once you bind online, it's no, your landlord or property manager is notified and you proceed with the rest of the lease setting. It's extremely seamless and it's designed to be that way because that's the way basically apartment leasing uh, and home leasing works today. So it takes that whole financial, initial financial burden and hassle and time consumption off of the management company entirely. And I assume that your technology integrates in with whatever their platform is that they're running on their, their property tech platform that they're running. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely correct. The major, you know, property owners and property managers are using, you know, major enterprise software to run their operations. And so we seamlessly integrate with, you know, the far, the majority of the coverage of uh, kind of homes uh, of, pla- of platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, so making it seamless for the property manager or property owner is as important as making it seamless and high value proposition for the renter. They must love it. I mean, I mean, not that this is probably the newest idea ever, but they must love it. It's waiting for the money is always a problem. Yeah. I mean, the current process for renters is typically going to get bank checks um, because you want certainty as an owner that the money is going to be good. You won't necessarily take a personal check or you're not accepting cash. And so a lot of renters for their first month's rent and for their security deposit are heading to their local brick-and-mortar bank to go get a physical cashier's check from their account and deliver that to the landlord. And I see you nodding your head, but what I just described doesn't sound like a process that should be (laughs) taking place in 2023. Uh, But nonetheless, that is the most prevalent uh, way to rent your apartment. Well, I I have to laugh because as, as somebody who has millennial children, I don't know that they've ever seen a cashier's check. Let alone know what, well, first of all, I don't know that my children know what a check is and um, other than using it as a phrase. So you're asking people to get involved in something that maybe they have actually never done before. Correct. Yeah. I, I mean, that's an even more you know, compelling point is the new generation of renters has uh, grown up on PayPal and Venmo and Zelle and Yes, uh, paper checks, cashier checks, like this is all, and even paying such a large lump sum in cash if the cash is the option that they want to go with. Those, so, these are all kind of foreign concepts. And so I, I want to ask, what is the most common arrangement that the renter opts for? 
Yeah, that's a great question. We actually see that renters opt into the deposit insurance program by far most. Four out of five renters who hit our quote page end up binding a policy with us. Uh, and so it's extremely va- what I glean from that is an extremely uh, compelling value proposition for the renter to compare, say, a $1,000 deposit to like a 10 to 20 to $30 per month payment. It's just so much easier to save your money, uh, use your resources for other move-in costs. As we know, there's always other move-in costs. Uh, or to save money uh, and to basically start meeting your finan- you know, start to plan to meet your financial goals. And there's no gnawing expectation of what's going to happen at the end. I mean, as long as as long as things are typical, normal, right? You, you paid your, in this case, let's say three hundred and sixty dollars over a year, whatever it may be, and that's it. You walk away. It's it's over. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Assuming not, that is my, no, is my thousand dollars going to, sh- am I ever going to see it again? Right. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's another kind of value proposition that we offer to renters as a bit more transparency into what's happening. Obviously, you know, the far majority of rental operators are, you know, doing things by the book. However, there's always that story that you've probably heard from your, you know, your friend or your, from your family member of that time where their security deposit was unfairly withheld. And now there's a, you know, a third party that's involved where, you know, if a claim is coming in, it comes to our team and we look at the evidence and we actually get both sides of the story where renters may have not felt uh, empowered uh, when a landlord was withholding a deposit. Now there's someone that they can speak to to share their side of the story. Is there a database uh, you use where the claims information goes to so that other apartment complexes or, or home rentals know about what's going on with this this person? The short answer is no. Uh, that's a lot of, you know, it's great proprietary information. But, uh, you know, that's something that I've thought deeply about of how to use this, you know, the underwriting performance information that we're collecting over time and basically across property managers and property owners yeah. is actually quite valuable to make assessments of like who to rent to and what kind of mitigation to kind of you know, like what kind of mitigation is necessary for each renter. So we think about potentially, you know, powering a screening platform. Uh, obviously, each uh, owner has their own screening criteria for how they underwrite the tenants uh, in order to rent their apartments. And some of those are market driven. Some of the most, some of those are just bespoke from like individual property managers experience. But what we are building in our data set is actually a way more dynamic and robust amount of information to really take it in a also more automated fashion of how can we take in a few pieces of data about a customer and yeah. determine like, what do we, what do we expect the performance to be? Cause it's almost equivalent to how we think about the kind of insurance product itself. Yeah. I would think seven years ago, whenever you started, it was kind of unknown seven years in, you're like, Oh, well, this type of person who is applying uh, is more likely to have a claim or not. I assume you've learned a lot since then, right? Yes, absolutely. Over the seven years, we've accumulated an immense amount of data to help power our pricing, help power our underwriting, and help power our way forward on the deposit insurance program. 
Yeah, I mean, in in the beginning, it was a lot of uh, like leap of faith. We had some directional right. kind of understanding uh-huh. of how uh-huh. it would all work. But yeah, uh, we have a bunch of you know extremely intelligent people working with our data day in and day out to help refine that and basically bring the best kind of product to market that we can. That's not going to be too burdensome. But also going to deliver on the value propositions that we're promising. But it's probably come a long way from some of the rental operators who would say to you. If they have on a blue jacket and black pants, you can't trust them. <laughs> I haven't heard that one before, but sure, there's certainly there's gonna some there, formula thereof, right? Yeah, that, it's also I think it, it's uh, when I hear that, I, I it makes me feel about breaking down barriers of like, no, this is actually you know concrete information about mm-hmm. the customer that will help power your decision making. And it doesn't have to come down to something that is, you know, as kind of uh, esoteric as, you know, what someone is wearing or how someone looks and stuff. It kind of democratizes it a bit, which which I, I enjoy. Yeah. I would think that for many landlords, the first of all, all the upfront work that you guys do and, and how you seamlessly create a, you know, breeze for them instead of this chunky hassle that used to be there. But at the backside, I would assume at the end is probably another place where they really appreciate what you guys do, because that's a that's an uncomfortable time too, right? The landlord may be saying, you know what, the da- there's too much damage. I'm I'm not going to give you this back. The the renter is saying, no, there's not. There, it's a it's a time where disputes can happen. Yeah, and it actually results in a very poor customer experience for those that this impacts. And a lot of like modern and forward thinking and large rental operators think very critically about this problem, which is, you know, it's equivalent to like an NPS score at move out. And they want to, you know, if you're running a rental brand, you want the reviews you have online or the word of mouth that gets shared about you as a brand and your property is to be very positive. Mm -hmm. And so really, I've even seen some operators that we've chatted with directly where they actually inform their current cash deposit practices with balancing their reputation, uh, which is like, is it even worth withholding a small amount to deliver a poor customer experience? Or is this a cost we can internalize in order to maintain a positive customer experience? So Certainly, that's something that folks in the ecosystem are thinking about. And I think we bring a new dimension there by kind of bringing in an impartial kind of third party into the mix, uh, which is, you know, obviously fairly adjudicating each of the kind of claims that come in. And are claims common? Uh, they occur at a predictable frequency. So, I would think. you know, yeah, when I think about, you know, what we do relative to the traditional insurance industry or property and casualty, we're writing micro insurance. Uh, we're writing very low coverage limits, but we're writing a lot of them. And so it's very much a frequency driven kind of performance, just because the severities are all capped at these low dollar amounts. Um, and so we do see a consistent frequency. We obviously compare geographies or compare properties to make sure that things are within or if they're out of the bounds, how are we kind of uh, addressing those kinds of questions? Uh, but absolutely, there's like, a, you know, We've, again, accumulated a lot of data over seven years, and we have a somewhat good predictable frequency based on kind of 
certain underwriting factors, locations, property types, et cetera. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure that that really informs your underwriting. What, whatever those whatever those criteria may be that are part of your underwriting stack. Absolutely. Are your own experience, your own data. Yeah, you've got to have a loop. Helpful. There's got to yeah. be that loop. It is, uh, frankly, you know, there is not much other data to go by for what we're doing because what we're doing is so novel. Uh Um, You know, deposit insurance, well, it's been around for close to 20 years. The reason why no one's heard about it is because it hasn't been wildly successful. And so what we decided, you know, five, six years ago when we launched Rhino is to look at what was out there try to see what are the features of why this doesn't have massive adoption uh, and try to fix those things. And so that's really what differentiates Rhino from kind of other people that are in the space. But yeah, ultimately, you know, we've created a virtuous cycle here of kind of performance, understanding the data, augmenting our own data, informing how we're moving forward with respect to underwriting, you know, and growth. So are you guys an MGA? Is that what you are? Yep. We are an MGA, fully licensed in all states uh, and doing business in the majority of them, covering, I think, 99 plus percent of renters across the country. So our product is available to many, uh, many people. However, you know, it does require the landlord and property manager to be a partner of ours because they're a party to the insurance. Mm. And so that's, you know, we spend a lot of time kind of growing our footprint uh, in that respect. But yeah, we elected to be an MGA from the inception. We haven't decided to make any changes to that because we really like the model. We work with obviously insurers and reinsurers in order to kind of uh, you know provide the risk capital and requisite licensing to do the product. But you know, I really like this business model because it's capital light uh, and it allows us to focus on what we do uh, very well, which is the distribution, the customer experience. Like those are super important things to get right. And while maybe in the future there's a there's a path for us to go some other routes in terms of risk capital, I think that you know that can be left for another day while we focus on the customer. Because you also you also offer renters insurance. That's correct. So one of the other kind of important parts of moving in and moving out is uh, many property managers either require renters insurance or strongly recommend renters insurance and. Frankly, absent those requirements or recommendations, I personally think renter's insurance is something that is it's good to have. No brainer. Yeah, it's a no brainer, although the uptake of it is quite low. And I really think that's just, you know, that's more of an education kind of thing uh, than anything else. So we obviously want to be, you know, helping our customers at the point of move in. We're already doing deposit insurance. And it was very seamless for us to make the leap of like, okay, let's also you know, let's sell renter's insurance as well because this is something the customer wants or needs in order to move in. And let's be kind of a one-stop shop for them uh, to meet their deposit requirements, whether it's through insurance or cash, but also get their renter's insurance in place. So is your most important salesman the landlord? I wouldn't call them a salesman. I would call no. them our dis- yeah, our distribution partner. But yeah, having them on board, the part of the convincing them to be a partner of ours and accept our deposit insurance in lieu or our full deposit management platform in lieu of what they're currently doing, that is certainly step one. But step two is, okay, and now we're going to seamlessly integrate with your processes and we're basically going to be distributing through your existing processes in order to kind of serve our product to their customer. So it's like a B2B to C engine. 
I want to ask about the the rising price in home prices, right? The how much everything's costing these days. Rentals are even more expensive than they've ever been. How does that affect your company? And and I kind of want to start with my thought is I was talking to my son the other day and I said, I don't know how anybody buys a home anymore. I don't know how anybody can get the 10 or 20% for a down payment when average home prices are $235,000 for starting homes. I just don't know how that's even possible. So I assume a lot more people are having to rent longer, but they're also having to pay more. And those and those deposits are, are more. But yet at the end, to repair, that's going to cost more too. What is the impact of the rising home costs, rising rentals? What, what impact does that have on, on Rhino? Yeah, at the highest level, it, I think, shines a good light on what we're doing to provide more flexibility and options to customers not just from the renter's perspective, which seems probably more obvious, but also from the landlord and the property manager's perspective, you want to differentiate yourselves from your competition and providing a more affordable option to move in or flexibility and options to move in is certainly going to differentiate you from your competition. Um, And so, yeah, we do see that rental prices have increased substantially over the last few years with inflation um, and just with excessive demand. Uh, and a lot of people kind of moving around during COVID, a lot of consolidation of households and then mm-hmm. deconsolidation of households kind of spurred a lot of demand. And supply is, also, is uh, as usual, is extremely limited. And it's not easy to go like snap your fingers and build new rental homes. And so we saw a lot of upward pressure on rents. I'm happy to say that we're seeing rents kind of stabilize now. They're not necessarily going down, but they're not uh, rising as much as they were. That's nice. Yeah, it is, it is nice. However, you know, the other side of this is, yeah, people often rent and then, be, you know, we see a lot of people remain in rentership for very long periods of time, but there is definitely a cohort that, you know, goes into home ownership at some point. And what you're describing with the basically decreasing affordability of home ownership, which I can personally attest to, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm also a renter. Okay. Uh, and it's and it's also because of the, the dynamic of how expensive it is to own a home. It's uh, definitely keeping like, you know, great customers uh, who would otherwise be going to purchase their first home in the renter ecosystem, which, you know, I think it increases demand for the product. Uh, so it also, you know, kind of puts pressure on the rental prices. But from yeah. our perspective, it's another customer that we can serve with our product, which is a great match for the, those consumers. I like that. You know, I'm wondering about, um, you listening to this, I'm wondering about loyalty to Rhino. I, I would think that, uh, you know, renters probably tend to move more than homeowners, more often than homeowners. And therefore, they probably run into Rhino, you know, several times. And you'll see, you'll see Rob Beller, you know, renting here and then renting there and then renting there. It would be logical if they know you and they appreciate you that when they buy a house, that Rhino would be there for them somehow. Is that on your roadmap? That's an excellent question, Rob. And the answer is yes. That's something that we think about kind of at a, at a step above what we're currently doing today. We are building kind of brand affinity with all the renters that we serve and delight by lowering their costs uh, for their rental apartments. But ultimately, you know, what we are kind of serving, the, you know, 
serving that renter, whether it's in the current capacity or a future capacity. And one of the ideas is certainly kind of what you just touched on, which is, you know, we know which of our renters who are kind of in our ecosystem, whether they're renewing in the same kind of home year over year, or whether they're moving to another home that's within our kind of ride network and continuing their customer journey with us. You know, eventually they may, you know, go to home ownership and, I would like to be there at the moment where they want to do that and help them through that process, whether it's insurance or whether it's like helping them with a home loan. You know, what we're kind of developing here in the relationship with the customer on an ongoing basis is understanding their characteristics of how they pay their rent and how they treat their apartment, which are fundamentally kind of the factors that you should consider when you're thinking about home insurance or home loans and stuff like that. So right. I think about that a lot. It's definitely further out on our roadmap. We're uh-huh. focused on what we do here today and continuing uh-huh. to make this as seamless as possible. But absolutely, uh, in terms of a bigger picture, I think there's a lot of room for kind of distribution of other kind of ideas and products to the the loyal fan, you know, kind of customer base we're building. Well, I think it's, I just think it's also fascinating. Uh, but my two sons both live in New York and both rent, I could say, of course, and both have like wild, crazy stories, right? About particularly in a market like that, or even a market like where you live, it's very challenging. And so to have any part of it that, that gets easier, that makes it easier, is super intriguing. I, I want to talk a little bit about the company and about and, and about you. So, so you you come out of a financial background. How do you get wrapped up in this? Yeah, uh, great question. I started my career. I guess it's close to yeah, fifteen twenty years ago now. In dude, financial services, dude, you're getting old. <laughs> in financial services, uh, so worked at a big investment bank uh, after graduating, and actually spent a long time there—six, seven years doing investment banking, corporate finance, and uh, structured and securitized finance. And, you know, at the end of that experience, which I wouldn't trade for anything else, it really set the foundation of what I was able to do for, you know, my career afterwards. I decided I wanted to do something a little bit smaller and a little bit more intimate, uh, where I had a little bit more hands-on on like all the decision-making versus being kind of part of a huge organization doing my part, uh, which, you know, totally... You know, it's understandable role, but I wanted to try something different. And I ended up, uh, you know, before starting Rhino, I tried my hand at real estate. And so I kind of put my uh, money where my mouth was and uh, I acquired a multifamily building uh, and redeveloped that. This is in the New York City area. I, I also lived in New York, uh, just like your sons, uh, like five, six years ago. And so doing that project, uh, you know, over the course of one and a half, two years, really helped me understand one, you know, what it takes to kind of build something from the ground up as a business and really to be hands-on. And if I don't do it, no one else will do it mentality. But then also getting a hands-on kind of in the real estate and rental ecosystem to really understand what are the pain points that are, you know, half of our customer, our rental operator customers are really experiencing on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Obviously I was a small operator and a lot of the operators we work with are at scale but similar pain points kind of occur throughout the life cycle. And so 
that's really what got me kind of more interested in what we could do to serve kind of the rental ecosystem. And that's around the same time where, you know, reconnecting with the co-founders uh, of Rhino and really building out and honing in on the ideas that would you know, kind of form the company. So that's, that's a little bit of the trajectory from where I started to where I got to. And here at Rhino, you know, I've worn many hats as co-founder. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting. They keep, they keep moving you around. That's either because you're really talented or they don't know what else to do with you. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm certainly happy to serve in, uh, in all and any capacity here. Uh, it's very near and dear to me, having founded it, uh, been part of the co-founding team. Uh, but yeah, that's right. I started uh, founded, founding as our COO. I've done stints uh, as our financial officer, our risk officer, and now most recently our executive officer. But yeah, I'm super pleased and feel very grateful to have the privilege to have all these experiences. Like Rhino has evolved tremendously over the time where it was in that stage where if I didn't do it, it wouldn't get done. Or the three co-founders, if we didn't do it, it didn't get done at a stage and evolved into this you know, very large business with lots of customers and lots of talented people. And you know, those are the most important things uh, to continue the company's growth and trajectory. Is it fun to be the CEO? It's a different to be the CEO. There's a lot, uh, you know, a lot more pressures and uh, stakeholders to be kind of cognizant of. In my other roles, obviously aware of all the stakeholders, but they weren't my direct responsibility. And now as CEO, everything is my direct responsibility. Uh -huh. So that was certainly a, a interesting transition from one to the next. Uh, but I do feel my prior experience of dealing with, you know, the stakeholders where I had responsibility set me up to really kind of be in this role uh, and understand the different kind of constituents. You know, one of the things that we run into, we've talked to, you know, many people who have come from outside of insurance and then moved into insurance, because honestly, I consider you guys an insurance company. No offense. But, no offense uh, taken. And, you know, we used to ask in the early days when we were doing this podcast, we used to ask, what do you consider yourself? Are you a technology company, insurance company? What are you? So I'm going to I'm going to ask you that question but but I'm leading up to something. So what 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 do you guys what do you consider yourselves? Yeah, I mean we're in the intersection of a few industries. So when I think about our customers, you know, I think of ourselves as a property technology company and enabling kind of seamless move in and move out experiences for uh owners and for renters. Uh however, you know, the core product that we're working with today it revolves around deposits and insurances related to deposits or renters insurance. And so very much a lot of the stuff we work on are core insurance uh, business problems, uh, whether it's underwriting, whether it's risk selection, partnerships, et cetera. So I see ourselves as kind of the intersection of the two. And I frankly think that's where kind of the industry is evolving to. It's like these little niches require kind of multiple, mostly disciplinary skill sets in order to be successful, to kind of branch out from the more traditional kind of brick and mortar, whether it's property companies or whether it's insurance companies. Mm -hmm. So you were, I, I want to ask about being the chief risk officer. That's a cool, that's not something that every company has, right? Every insurance company has, but some do. What, what, what's that job? It is a kind of uh, doesn't fully describe the role in the title's name, but the job was broadly, you know, managing uh, the risk that we took on in our insurance book. Uh, so all the underwriting, actuarial, 
and all the you know kind of virtuous cycle through our claims adjudication, uh, the responsibilities for that and delivering on our goals, whether it came to profitability and uh, stuff in, in that terrain. But it also was responsibility for all of our insurance relationships. So as an MGA, we obviously work with insurance carriers uh, and other capital providers in order to kind of continue writing the business that we write. And as you can imagine, since what we do is so new, there's a lot of work that goes into that uh, to educate and to kind of demonstrate what we're building here versus what you would say is a more kind of classic insurance class that's been around for decades and has like actuarial science built out and, you know, standard forms that you can pull off from like, uh, you know, from, from vendors. And so managing those relationships, obviously still a critical component of the company, but, you know, primary responsibility in the chief risk officer role. Very interesting. And I want to ask you one last question before we go, or maybe two, and that is about claims. Because you have a, all kinds of different claims, right? You you might have property, you might have a contents claim uh, in a fire or smoke or, or theft. And you may have a claim on that a landlord says one thing and, and a insured says another. I mean, t- talk to us about building a claims function. Lee and I work for Alacrity. We're claims people. That's kind of what always, you know, gets us uh, excited. So tell us about your claims uh, area. Absolutely. And I should expect that question given your backgrounds. I saved it. I saved it till the end. I'm very proud of myself. Uh, So I'll actually separate it uh, because we, you know, you did mention a few types of claims, uh, but renter's insurance uh, versus deposit insurance, because the perils covered are quite different uh, and frankly, don't overlap by design. Mm-hmm. Um, so renter's insurance, you know, obviously it's personal property and contents that renters purchase to protect their own kind of stuff, um, different from, you know, dwelling insurance or the kind of the property itself, which a landlord holds insurance against. So with respect to that, we actually serve as an agent. So we're not a full MGA and we don't actually internalize the claims process for them, but that's where you would see, you know, kind of your fire, your contents claims come in. On the flip side, and and the reason why we don't kind of service that is because that is a very standardized product um, and the carrier that we work with kind of has a robust process that they already do. And so creating a seamless experience to kind of get the claims that come in and go through their kind of funnel is how we designed it. But on the other side, deposit insurance is brand new. And the carriers that we work with, we've sold to them that we are the claims adjudicator, that we are the experts in the space. We understand the perils. We design the product. We frankly even like adjust the forms and adjust kind of the underwriting on a continuous basis to make sure we're refining and adding clarity to what we're doing as much as possible. And so that for that, we have an internal team. And the perils covered are quite straightforward. It's what you would imagine a landlord would withhold from a security deposit. If you don't pay your rent or any fees or other uh, dues that are under a lease agreement, or if you return uh, your uh, rental home with any excessive wear and tear or you know something's missing that was supposed to be there. So those are the things that are covered. And frankly, those are quite straightforward for our team to kind of look at, uh, you know, looking at a lease agreement, looking at mm-hmm. like evidence of a non-payment of rent and looking at evidence of uh, excessive wear and tear. 
And then, as you mentioned, you know, it's, it is tripartite. So there's conversations that occur with the renter where they're notified. We get the other side of the story. It actually helps us kind of shine a light on what's actually happening here by getting information from multiple parties and with the evidence. And, you know, we can typically turn those around if they're straightforward, like within 24 hours. That's how fast our system kind of works. And that was a product promise that we made uh, when we first started the company. Landlords and property managers currently control security deposits in accounts that they administer. And so they expect a process to be pretty seamless and quick. And so that's why we built our own. It's digitally native. Um, so people, you know, our customers cool. submit their claims through digital means. Cool. Yeah. But then uh -huh. they come to our team and they're quickly kind of reviewed and adjudicated. Uh -huh. Yeah, because it's pretty straightforward, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. There's certainly, there are those, um, you know, what's the rule? 10% uh, of the, you know, 10% of the stuff will take 90% of the time. Um, yes. But welcome, certainly welcome to our world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. The far majority yeah. is very straightforward. You know, a non-payment is very easily evidenced by a ledger that shows right. the non-payments and, you know, verified when we don't, you know, hear from the renter or the renter confirms it. And same with excessive wear and tear easily verified with photos uh, or invoices, et cetera. Um, and so those are pretty quick. Yeah. One thing that occurred to me, and I may be thinking about this wrong, but if you're a bad renter and you come to the end of your lease term and you're moving out, right? You have your next place set up, you're moving out and you say to yourself, I know I've been making this payment every month. I don't care what the place looks like because I've, paid my deposit, so to speak, on a monthly basis. I'm not getting anything back. I don't expect to get anything back. You know what? There's some holes in the wall. I'm out of here. What stops that from happening? Yeah, great question. And uh, I think you've perfectly described moral hazard, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is uh, something we obviously thought very deeply about. And so one of the features that we added is for intentional kind of abuses, such as you're describing, like, I will choose not to pay my last month's rent or I will not, you know, leave this in kind of the condition that I rented this uh, unit in. Uh, we reserve the right to ask for recoveries. So if a claim comes in that meets this kind of criteria, we're going back to the renter, obviously, to ask their side of the story to help shed light on the claim itself. But if ultimately it's an intentional act that they you know, kind of did, there's grounds for us to recover from them. Uh, and so we'll ask them to pass back. And you know, we have other kind of you know, procedures that we can pursue after that. But education about how the product works up front, where this is you know, something that can happen if uh, there's an intentional act, is, is critical to mitigate the moral hazard. But then also executing it in practice is you know, something that's an important part of our process. Is moral hazard, I did, that's so funny, and, and not, though not surprising at all, that, that it has a term, right? I, I'm, and I'm frankly sure it's present in other lines of insurance as well, right? Absolutely. Is that a problem for you? No, no, this is not not a problem at scale. Uh, okay. This is a very small minority, okay. just like, you know, the claims frequency is predictable and also obviously a minority. This is a very small subset of that where this occurs here and there. And, yep, we deal with it just like any other insurance company. There's always, you know, different reasons for different types of claims or kind of leakage. Um, and, you know, we address that and make sure the portfolio as a whole performs is, you know, one of our goals. 
Well, you said that you you developed a rental property in New York City back in the teens, right? I hope you still have it because if you are, you're killing it, man. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, I can't, so that, yeah, I can't believe up. I can't believe what my kids pay for rent. But the funnest part is is to watch them rationalize it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. At least Lee so. talked about how expensive it is. It's like two mortgages, right? <laughs> that they're paying. It's it's remarkable, but it just goes to show this is such a vast market. The market is vast. Absolutely. Every city, every town, every place. There's nowhere in America, I would say, maybe except a planned retirement community, that where there's not rental houses or apartments, right? I mean, it's sewn into the fabric of our of how we live in America. Yeah. What about absolutely? Let me let me ask you one last question. What about international? International, it's a good it's a good idea and a good question. It has not been our focus, uh, but there is obviously a very large market internationally as well. You know, one of the keys to how we kind of go to market is uh, we work with property managers and owners of scale, and so a feature of the American market, which is quite interesting for us and our business model, is there's a lot of consolidation uh, of ownership. So it means that you know we can go to an individual property manager and get access to many renters all in right. one kind of sale. And what I found when we researched international markets, it's a bit more fragmented. It depends on the location, obviously, but right. yeah. uh, the fragmentation of ownership and also the uh, kind of the evolution of the insurance market. Because as I mentioned, like we're in the intersection of these two kind of big, robust industries in the United States, but each other international country has different dynamics in both of those segments, which, you know, we're obviously using the go-to-market strategy that works well for here, which may not work well in other places. Well, listen, we've peppered you enough for the last however long it's been. We really appreciate you coming today. We've heard about Rhino for a long time. It's thrilling for us to have you be on the podcast and, uh, and and we'd love to have you back when you're you know when you're a an old CEO to reflect more on um, your your really interesting business. Thanks for coming. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure to join you both. Uh, thank you for having me. Thanks, Appreciate Ken. it. Now, to me, that's super interesting. I think it's very interesting. It's something that affects a lot of people. I mean, and I can kind of see the whole thing in my head. I mean, I'm sure that there's many nuances to it, but it's really pretty kind of straightforward, right? Yeah, I, I think it's a disruption of a market that was done the same way forever and ever and ever. Uh -huh. And they said, well, what if we do this, right? What uh -huh. if we just change this around? But still, you get the same outcome. It just gives better customer service. You know, there's there's some perks. And I bet the people that use it, the customers... On both sides. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I mean, a, a, a deposit is a necessary evil. Like You've got to pay right. to make sure that everything's going to be okay whenever you move out. And it's a necessary evil for both parties. Yeah. And I think he said, right, it's something that both parties don't want to have to mess with. Mm -hmm. They both want a, a better solution. Mm -hmm. it's, it's great. I think that, mm -hmm. I think Ben's a sharp guy with a great product, great, uh, big, strong team there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Fabulous. And we thank Ben so much for being with us. Thank you all for being with us once again. And uh, thanks to our production team. And until next time, we will say goodbye, everybody. 